welcome to the 18th episode of the Football Media Podcast on the team of John O'Shea's platform. I'm John McKenzie and across the course of the new season, I'm going to be bringing you a weekly podcast that seeks to open up the often murky underworld of the football media. This week, I'm speaking to Dan Orlowitz, football writer for the Japan Times. In the course of our conversation, we discuss his experiences of working within the Japanese media, the differences between Japanese and Western media, and whether or not the AFC will ever achieve parity with other associations worldwide. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, subscribe, rate and review on iTunes in order to help us gain exposure, and if you're a social media person, follow us on Twitter at FootyMediaPod. Next week, we're talking to Ryan Baldi about the process of writing and publishing his book, The Next Big Thing. But before that, it's Dan Orlowitz, Japanese football and its media culture. I'm joined today by Dan Orlowitz, football writer at Japan Times. Dan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great, John. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. The first question that we have on the podcast is always contextual, an attempt to give the audience the chance to put you in some kind of place in the football media. Tell us how you ended up being a football writer at Japan Times. Well, I guess that story starts in about 2007, uh, when I went to my first J-League match here in Tokyo, and I fell in love with it, and I started going to FC Tokyo games pretty regularly, uh, joined the sort of the biggest online English-speaking communities uh, back then, which were located on a couple sites and forums, uh, started blogging about it. Um, specifically about FC Tokyo and started a, a website dedicated to just sharing what I could about them. Uh, and in 2011, uh, I sort of parlayed that into a, a desk writer position at Goal.com, uh, writing about Asian football and Japanese football for Goal International. And uh, since then, I've worked for a couple different uh, websites uh, football Channel, which is a Japanese uh, site, and mostly doing sort of analysis and uh, back-end translations for them. I was in a, sort of a startup project called Football Tribe, which was based in uh, Asia and Southeast Asia, doing various and sundry uh, writing about the J-League, doing lots of photography, this and that. And I joined the Japan Times last August as uh, the football writer. So that's that's the short story. So you're from the US, right? Yes. Were you a football fan in the US? I played it as a kid. I vaguely remember watching the 94 World Cup in my parents' bedroom. Um, I didn't have a club team to support. The The Philadelphia Union uh, didn't start, didn't make their MLS debut until 2010. So I wasn't really into the MLS. I wasn't into... Uh, the Premier League. So my real introduction to the game has been since I came to Japan, since I started following it here. Do you think that has changed the way you look at the game? I think in a way, yes. I think that growing up in in Philly, we do have a very rich sporting culture. Uh, We have teams in four major, in the big four major leagues and now in the MLS and they're pretty good some years. So <laughs> I, I think that I had an appreciation for that passion. Um, but I mean, I was a nerd in high school and a nerd in college, and I continue to be a nerd today. And <laughs> I, I never think of myself as like a sports guy. I think of myself as a nerd who likes sports. And 
I hope that that gives me a, a sort of a different perspective. I definitely don't consider myself uh, as knowledgeable as some of my contemporaries and colleagues, but uh, I like to learn and I like to share what I've learned. And, and there's, there's a lot to learn about the game in Japan and it's all really fascinating stuff. Let's start moving on to talk about the, the sports media in Japan. The question I had down here is what, what led you to sports media in Japan that you hadn't led you to sports media in the US? Obviously, you were watching a lot more football in Japan, so sort of, I, I suppose that's the sort, the sort of angle in there. How would you answer that question? Do you think that you would have ended up in the sports media if you'd have been in the US? I might have. If I look at what the MLS is doing these days in terms and what uh, sports media in general in the U.S. is doing in terms of the digital aspect and the sort of creative content that's coming out there. I think if I had stayed in the U.S., I might have gone down, down that path. I actually I studied filmmaking and, and Asian studies in college and I was sort of very much into Japanese history and Japanese pop culture and that sort of stuff. Uh, then I moved to Japan at the end of 06 and I was actually doing a lot of work in the music scene here as a photographer and this and that. And the goal was to get a job in the music scene and then to keep football as the hobby. And that sort of ended up reversed. So uh, it, it was a weird path, uh, but I could have see, I could see it end, ending up the same way uh, in the U.S., looking at how I've progressed as, as sort of a person and what my interests have led me down to. You mentioned that you started going to FC Tokyo and fell in love with it. What was it about that club that you fell in love with in particular? It was the experience of just going behind the goal, uh, which I did in my very first game and never really left until it, it became a job and not a hobby. Um, it was just it was something that you never had felt before just in American sports going to Philadelphia Eagles games or Philadelphia Phillies games or Sixers games. Um, that active support culture is something that we have in college sports, uh, but not so much in pro sports. And it, uh, I was, you know, I was just, I just turned 21. I was in language school. I was sort of up for anything. And uh, and I credit going to games and talking to people and making friends with how my Japanese skills developed because uh, I, you know, I would buy newspapers and magazines to read what I could and I would write Japanese blogs about just going to the games and talk and try to post on message boards and that sort of stuff and that's that that guided uh, my, my development here and sort of set me on that path and the the J League is it just it's colorful and it's passionate and uh, some of the best travel you'll get anywhere in the world in terms of the places you can go and the games you can see and uh, the the sightseeing and stuff that you can enjoy sort of outside of the stadium and it's just uh, something very it's very unique and I I'm not going to say you know it's, oh, it's better than the Premier League it's better than La Liga. Uh, because obviously the level of play is different, but the the culture is it's fun and it's enjoyable, and there's uh, very few stakes involved in terms of sort of the, the cynicism and the the overhanging issues. Although I mean we do have our own brand of cynicism, but that's sort of a different story. Huh. In terms of the just the structural side of things in the J League, can you just talk us a little bit about what the J League looks like, um, what the sort of general tenor of the league is like, and and who are the teams who are the best, and what's the competitiveness of the, of the league like? 
Well, currently the, the J League is split into three divisions. Uh, you have the J1 with 18 clubs, the J2 with 22 clubs, and the J3 with 18 clubs, including uh, three under-23 clubs of J1 clubs. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's a total of 55 real clubs, uh, quote-unquote, and that's basically the, the top level of professional football in Japan. Below that is the JFL, the Japan Football League, which is the, the top amateur league, and it's the, only, it's the only national amateur league, and that's overseen by the Japan Football Association. Uh, below that, there's the regional leagues, uh, prefectural leagues, city leagues, that sort of thing. So mm. the, the Japanese pyramid is pretty well established, but a, as far as promotion and relegation go, uh, there is limited, quote-unquote, promotion and relegation within the J-League. Uh, clubs are required to have a club license in order to move up to a higher league. And... That's basically the one limit there is, and that's uh, licenses are, are awarded based on uh, whether or not they have the right facilities, whether or not the stadium is big enough, how many youth teams they have, how the club's finances are, and this is something that the league has done to ensure the financial stability and growth of teams and to, to try to make sure that these clubs aren't going beyond their means uh, to you know, shoot for promotion and then end up millions of, of dollars in debt. In terms of J1 then, the, the, who are the teams that, that are the teams to watch and what's the sort of standard of, of the competition like? It's a very open league. Uh, actually, Kawasaki Frontale uh, just won their second straight title. Uh, there haven't been many teams who have repeated in the league's history. I think they're the fifth club to have done it, and it's been done six times in total. Uh, the league was founded in 93, so that's, or excuse, excuse me, the J1 started as, as the J League in 1993. So it's been about 25, I think this will be the, the 26th season uh, this year. And... You have Kashima Antlers, who just won the uh, AFC Champions League and participated in the Club World Cup. Of course, listeners will remember the uh, 2016 Club World Cup uh, final, where they took Real Madrid to extra time. Uh, you have Arawa Reds, who got a reputation as uh, the Manchester United of Asia just because of, of how great their support is. They will send thousands of fans uh, to away games in the country or even uh, outside uh, in the Champions League. Uh, so th those are some of the more dominant clubs, but really it's a league in which any team, I shouldn't say any, but most teams on any given year have a chance to win something, whether that's the league, the J-League Cup, or the Emperor's Cup, which is uh, our equivalent of the FA Cup. Right, let's start moving into the area of media. You've been in the country for a while now. What are the general ideas that, of, of the media in Japan that you've picked up on? How do the Japanese people think about media in general? It's interesting because the, the views of what a journalist is uh, and what a journalist should be are somewhat regressive compared to other countries. I think that in, in England and in Europe... Uh, there's the vision of, of a journalist as an opinionator, as someone who will, you know, they may have a favorite team, uh, they may have, have the, the clubs that they like or dislike, but 
when they're writing, they can put that aside when they're tweeting or whatever, they'll say whatever, uh, but you sort of know what you're getting. Here, fans tend to be very wary of media who in, insert their own personal opinion into anything. Mm. Um, overall, things uh, the, the media landscape is very much dominated by print organizations. Newspapers are still a very big deal here. We used to have two weekly football magazines. Uh, both of them uh, basically closed up shop. I think they're now just printing bi-weekly or monthly these days, and within the last, I think, three or four years, uh, they both closed up, and we have a, a weekly newspaper. I think they, they actually publish three days a week. It's called El Galazzo, and it's printed on pink paper, uh, like uh, the sports dailies in Italy. Uh, and it's very, I think the easiest way to describe it is whatever European media is doing, just look at what they were doing 10 years ago, and that's where <laughs> Japanese media is basically at. Uh, there has been a lot of catch-up in the last few years in terms of digital media, uh, more active social media presences, more unique tones in terms of how media are presenting information. But we're, we're still sort of behind the times and we're still playing catch up. Uh, the idea of the sports business industry, uh, the, the sports business landscape is still a very new concept in Japan. And that's not just true of football, but also of baseball and other major sports. Mm. So uh, the entire industry is playing catch up. And especially with the Rugby World Cup later this year and the Olympics next year, mm. uh, a lot of the leagues and a lot of the clubs and a lot of the players are taking sort of very quick lessons in figuring out how to do it. I mean, they see how Roma are doing their social media and they think, well, how can we do that, but not piss off Japanese fans who are maybe sensitive to banter. They don't like it when clubs get too irrever irreverent. Mm. And that, that's been sort of a theme for years and years, and uh, for us uh, foreigners who are in Japan writing about the sport here, uh, that's a line that we have to not, we have to be, be mindful of it. I think as foreigners, we're sort of allowed to break the rules uh, because we're foreigners, but uh, we do still have to be aware of those rules, and you know, we can't go too far past those rules. That's really interesting because I think for the majority of people in the West, the the idea of Japanese people being at the forefront of things like technology and and therefore things like social media is is pretty high. So the the fact that the, those sort of unwritten rules or etiquettes uh, have a big influence is is pretty fascinating. In terms of the, the the sports media itself, then how far do you see your job? differing from the Western sport media. And I know Western sport media is a really flabby phrase, but in terms of US media and UK media in particular, what are the differences between the ways that those those media operate and the, the way that Japanese media operate? You've touched on that already, but are there any other ways where, where that could uh, be expounded upon? I think that Japanese media hmm. has a, a tendency to avoid open controversy, uh, you can have something, I think going back to your your previous episode uh, in regards to Raheem Sterling mm -hmm. and issues of how players are treated in terms of racism and that sort of thing, uh, Japan is not a country that has quite a hold on what racism is yet. Mm -hmm. um, 
they obviously have a word for it. They have a, they have an understanding, and they they know that racism isn't good. Uh, but you'll get things like uh, the other week when Iniesta posted that photo of uh, Three Kings Day and the the, the blackface, and you get mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And you aren't going to have media come out and say, "Well, this player did a racist thing." Uh, a big example that I think you'll probably be aware of was five years ago uh, when a banner reading Japanese only was displayed inside uh, the concourse of an Arawa Reds game. And that became a huge story. And that was very much one of the first times that the J-League's dirty business was shared with the world on such an immense scale. Mm. And the club wasn't really ready for it. Uh, the J-League wasn't quite ready for it. And they had to sort of figure that out. And in terms of uh, their place as, as, as a football club in the 21st century, uh, the league, you know, they have to figure out how to, how to share what they're doing with the rest of the world. Uh, not very many people speak English in Japan. So uh, I, I realize I've sort of gone on a bunch of tangents, but to sort of circle back around, uh, in terms of what I've done as a writer working for Japanese media, our, my role and our, our role, because there's, there's a few of us out there, is to introduce foreign football culture to Japanese readers in an, access, in an accessible way, but also to uh, discuss Japanese football and point out things that we notice as being different or uh, strange even or not right. And by doing that, then we're sort of asking the questions that a a Japanese writer might not know to ask or thinks about but isn't able to write about for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of our role. And and now the Japan Times, which is an English language publication, uh, my my job as a writer is more about sharing the J-League with the rest of the world. And that's something that's a bit less pressure, um, a bit of a wider tightrope to walk, uh, because it's sort of going outwards towards a, a culture that is, is more comfortable with harder questions and you know, more willing to discuss the weird stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that I've answered your question, even if it's in some somewhat of a roundabout way. I'd be I'd be interested to hear about what you think that Japanese readers expect from sports reporting. Is it is it similar to what someone in the UK might expect in terms of uh, they'll read a match report, they'll read op-ed pieces, they'll read I don't know listicles. What, what sort of expectation do they have for what what the media should be? I, I think that in the last few years. Uh, I think, especially in the, over the last year in particular, there has definitely been more of a push towards analytical writing. I think looking at tactics, looking at sort of individual players, and looking at sort of big data, and, and uh, seeing, looking at the game through through that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overall football intelligence of Japanese fans is very low compared to, say, England or Spain or Brazil. Um, It's not a sporting culture in the way that the West thinks of itself as a sporting culture. Mm. People like to watch sports, 
but you know they're 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 cheering for their their favorite player or they're cheering for their favorite team or they're cheering for Japan as a national team um but if you ask the average fan to talk tactics and explain why a player is good they might be able to explain why a player is good but uh, they're they'll rarely be able be willing to come out and say well this player is bad because of x or y uh it is not a country that really deals with criticism well mm. uh if there is something that you see in football media here it's that the media is very 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 hesitant to criticize a player mm. if, if someone has a really bad day they might beat around the bush and say that they had a bad day, but you won't have, you know, a commentator, you won't have, have a TV announcer slagging on someone who, you know, gave away an own goal. The J League doesn't even tell you who scored an own goal in the official stats. Right. In the official match report, you know, it just goes to credits to own goal. <laughs> and that's something that we've been complaining about for years. Um, and so I think that if there's one thing that's emblematic of uh, the, the shortcomings of the football culture here, that that's maybe a good thing to point out. Let's talk about the view from the opposite side then. Good, this would be a good juncture to talk about the representation of Asian football in Western media. On the whole, do you think that Western media do a good job of, of covering Asian football when they cover it at all? If you look at, I think, independent Western media, if you look at you know some of these the indie magazines you know like Football Pink or In Bed with Aradona, which which in in fairness I have contributed to in the past. If you look at uh, Copa ninety uh, and how how they treat Asian football, I mean it's with res- with respect and with excitement uh, because I, th- I think Asia as a continent has so much to offer football. Asia's a really big continent. There are 47 members of the AFC. The Asian Cup is happening right now uh, as we record this, and they expanded from 16 to 24 teams this year, and that gave us a good chance to see some countries that we normally wouldn't see at the Asian Cup. Uh, India acquitted themselves very well. They didn't make the round of 16, but they beat uh, Thailand in the opening game. And that was a huge result for them. Uh, We've seen Japan struggle against Turkmenistan and Oman, uh, which isn't something you would expect from a team that performed as they did uh, at the World Cup. So if you consider the fact that Asia covers West Asia, Central Asia, South, Southeast, and East... I mean, these, those are those are five distinct regions uh, with five very distinct cultures, and you know, from from Australia and Japan and Korea all the way west to Qatar and Iraq and Iran, and and so there's a lot to cover. And I, I don't think that popular Western media. I mean, I, I think that if you look at sort of the more clickbaity stuff, yeah, you know, they can just do a Google search and look up such and such player stats and look up a Wikipedia and push out an article. I mean, I think anyone can do that. Uh, but if, if I think about English language coverage of what's happening in the continent, uh, you really have to look to the people who are blogging, uh, putting up their own sites, you know, locals, usually Western expats uh, who, are, who are living here and, and 
getting out the information however they can. I, mean, I think that's that's the best. That's where the best English language reporting on these leagues is right now. Do you think Asian football in general has has grown in the West in your time in Japan? Do you think that Asian football is slowly becoming more popular, or do you think not a lot has changed? I think if you, I mean, if you look at like I know uh, Sky has the Chinese Super League, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, DAZN has the J League. They they have the full domestic rights and I think limited international rights. Mm. Uh, that's a bit of a, a sticky situation because I think through this year, the J League's international broadcasting deal uh, is with the league's former broadcaster, uh, Sky Perfect TV in Japan. Uh, so that's if you look at that, I, th- I think that there are people out there who want to watch the J League, uh, who who want to watch the AFC Champions League. I don't think there are that many, but I, you know, I think if the average fan, if you give them an interesting game, they'll watch it. Mm. Uh, I don't expect millions of British and Spanish and and Italian fans to tune into the J League, uh, but I, I think that there's you know. Literally, you know, it may might might even be you know thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know. I'm not going to put a number on it, but there's interest out there. If you look at the number of Japanese players who are in Europe, who are coming to Europe, I think uh, four or five this inter- this winter break alone, um, fans want to see where players are coming from. They want to see where the next player might come from, and uh, I think that. The interest has grown, uh, but the access is still struggling a bit. Uh, I think right now the biggest uh, barrier is just being able to watch games, and that's not always the easiest with some of these leagues. I'd quite like to talk about the development of the AFC. You've touched on the the diversity and the and the breadth of of the AFC, the fact that it covers a huge geographical space. And I wrote a piece a few years back on the AFC compared to the other associations and how plausible it is to suggest that, that they may be able to catch up in, in certain ways. How do you assess the, the AFC against these other associations in world football? And, and do you see any chance for it to catch up? Or is, is asking that sort of question, is that just a wrong-headed question in the first place? I've actually always been of the opinion, and, and this is sort of my personal weird Asian football Waterloo. I think the AFC is too big. Um, if if I was in charge of FIFA or the AFC or, or I guess whoever makes the call, I would chop the whole confederation in half. Uh, I would say you split it into uh, West Central and South Asia on one side and Southeast and East Asia on the other. Turn that into two confederations and maybe uh, you merge Southeast and East Asia with uh, Oceania. Mm. I I know that the math there doesn't work out, uh, but it, it is tough. I mean, if you look at uh, the Asian Cup to host it in UAE and to have fans in Australia or Japan or South Korea try to watch these games, it's not always easy if you consider the time zones. Mm. Um, it's not easy for fans to fly from Japan to Uzbekistan for a World Cup qualifier. These are challenges that very few teams, national teams, club teams around the world have to face. Uh, And 
not all of the countries in Asia are, you know, it's, if you look at the gap in terms of finance, finances, uh, facilities, uh, things are improving. Uh, obviously, any country in Asia can host a FIFA sanctioned match, uh, but it, it's going to, you know, it's going to take time to catch up. And I, I think that one of the things you see in Japan is that the, the JFA is really one of the most active FAs in the continent in terms of working with these developing countries and sending coaches and doing exchanges and uh, donating funds to help these smaller countries lift their game up and to you know develop coaches and to develop uh, you know front office talent in the league and to uh, improve training methods. The JFA has for a long time. Uh, taken the opinion that uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, and the only way for Japan to improve even further is to make it harder for them to qualify for you know the World Cup and the Asian Cup, and to give them more competition mm -hmm. from the smaller and mid-level countries. Uh, so that that's the battle that we face right now: is whether or not the AFC can get all of these you know, minnow countries up to a stronger level while getting the bigger countries, the more developed countries, to be even better and to deal with all the political BS that uh, Asia brings with it, uh, because believe me, there is plenty of political BS. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough challenge, and I'm bullish on Asian football. I've always been a fan and an advocate of Asian football, but uh, to me, I think that if you had, a, say, a, the Middle East football confederation and then the east asian football confederation however you want to call it uh i think that that's the way forward um i don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime but that's what i would do and i guess by expanding the asian cup that's only going to help in that regard and i've actually been enjoying the asian cup i think the standards have been very high across the the board there's not been any there's been a couple of matches obviously where teams have folded but i've actually been very impressed at how a lot of the smaller teams have come out yeah it's any i covered the asian cup uh, four years ago in australia and that was uh, it was just great to see the level of competition and it's no game is easy even if you're japan even if you're australia losing their opener to jordan um it's one thing for the top teams it's one thing for the Socceroos to play japan and they know each other very well and they both have their strategy and they know the other team's strategy it's, it, you know you, you get that every world cup qualifying cycle that's that's nothing we've been through that rivalry a bajillion times it's another thing for Turkmenistan to play Japan and push them to 3-2 and, you know, to take the lead against the four-time Asian Cup winners. Uh, I think the TV commentators for that game said that uh, the Japan coaching staff and the, the players had only watched a couple of uh, match tapes of Turkmenistan from 2018. Uh, when you get these weird matchups where one team are playing with their lives on the line uh, just to be able to say that they took a scalp and for the, these big teams to not know what to do. I mean, it's exciting. It's fun. It's, it's why we love the game. 
Well, I've I've taken up too much of your time already, but everything comes to an end. And when we come to an end on this podcast, the, the final question is always about the future of the media. So how do you see the future of the media going in general, but, but also in Japan? And how do you see yourself fitting into that future? I think that uh, as far as media in general, football media in general, I really like what's happened in the last couple of years with all these independent magazines and podcasts and uh, YouTube channels just delivering amazingly well-produced content uh it's just not what they're what we're doing what we can do today would have been impossible 10 15 20 years ago and beyond that so the fact that you can have a channel like hope 90 uh that where they can send you know a dozen or two reporters to uh the world cup and come up with amazing video content every day the fact that you can have uh you know bloggers and vloggers in any country in uh, in South Korea, the guys at K League United have actually uh, started working together with the K League to produce English content, and that's uh, something that deserves immense credit. Uh, just the fact that they they they're living the dream, and they're working hand in hand with their local league to promote it in English. That's something that we all sort of wish the J League would get on board with. Um, in Japan in particular, uh, lately it's gone, again, we're starting to see what was happening in the West five, ten years ago. Uh, freelance writers are starting their own sort of web magazine. Uh, there's a new website, note.mu, which is sort of like the Japanese medium, but it has Patreon-esque subscription type features. So a lot more writers are starting to use that. Uh, we don't really have podcasts here, which is very weird to me, because you would think that Japan was perfect for podcasting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that will come eventually. Uh, there's a very sort of weird stigma about putting yourself online and putting yourself out there as a personality. And I think that we're starting to get past that uh, in terms of professional media. If you look at how clubs have developed uh, their social media voices in the last two, three years, leaps and bounds better than anything that was happening even five years ago. Uh, I look at uh, Montedeo Yamagata, who are in the second division, and their social media guy is bantering in English on their official account. And it's incredible. And I've chatted with him back and forth. Um, it just he's there's an example of someone who was willing to do something different and now he's tweeting uh, these lower division clubs in england and getting shout outs by roma's english team and it, it's awesome to see that and i do hope that more clubs jump on that bandwagon um i, I think that the next step for j league clubs is to be more proactive uh in english uh, with English social media and better English websites. Um, there's, I think, three or four clubs that have English Twitter accounts out of 18, J, out of 18 J1 clubs, I should say. Uh, so that's sort of where we're at. And I, I think that the next level is going to be that and marketing more to tourists and inbound uh, travelers who want to see a match in Japan. Because uh, how cool is that? Okay. So that's the next step. I, I think that, again, with, with the Rugby World Cup and with the Olympics happening, uh, things are going to improve. Uh, as far as my personal role, 
Um, I mean, I've been at the Japan Times for, I guess, almost five months now. It'll be five months by the time this comes out. And it's good for me because I don't have to deal with the stigma that web media in Japan have, uh, which is actually an issue. Uh, but uh, I, I get to cover the J-League. I get to cover the national team. I get to bring that to an audience. And uh, I'll also be a part of our Rugby World Cup coverage and our Olympic coverage, which is, is super cool and just uh, something that most people in sports media could only dream of. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that and to trying to be innovative and uh, to keep doing what I've been doing. Dan, this has been a really fascinating chat. How can people follow you and follow your writing? Uh, I guess the easiest way uh, on Twitter, at uh, Aishiteru Tokyo, uh, that's A-I-S-H-I-T-E-R-U-T-O-K-Y-O. Uh, and also, I guess, uh, just check the uh, soccer section of the Japan Times website. That's japantimes.com, uh, where I post my columns and news and sort of whatever I feel like writing about regularly. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Dan. Uh, thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast with me, John McKenzie. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. We'll be back next week with Ryan Baldi to talk about the process of writing and publishing his book, The Next Big Thing. But until then, have a good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.